0: Welcome to the JSGC Policy Podcast, where we research policy issues that matter to the people of Pennsylvania. Our conversations on this show give a quick glimpse into our research. For a deep dive on these topics, please visit our website. Today, our conversation will focus on fatherhood. I'm Susan Elder, and I'm here today with Glenn Passowitz, who's our executive director here at Joint State. Hello, Susan. And Brian DeWalt, who is our sound engineer and co-host. Hello, everyone. Hi, Brian. And we are joined today by Yvonne, who is the project manager for Act 114, which is the Greater Fatherhood Involvement Act. Welcome, Yvonne. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Glenn, before we jump into our conversation, could you give us a little bit of background about Act 114?
1: Sure. Act 114 began as House Bill 1731 of 2021, and it was sponsored by Representative Lori Mizgorski. It created the Pennsylvania Advisory Committee on Greater Fatherhood Involvement. Discussions between Representative Mizgorski, House staff, and joint state began during the summer of 2020, and a lot of consideration and discussion had gone into the bill as it evolved in how the advisory committee would be formed and what its responsibilities would be. It was originally envisioned as a permanent body that would evaluate fatherhood initiatives and award grant money to the deserving programs. But in the final form, it took a step back from that vision and started with this report that we're discussing today, which is a study with recommendations that could lay the groundwork for a future uh, permanent advisory body as it was first conceived.
0: Thank you, Glenn, for all that background. Yvonne, can you tell us a little bit about the directives found in Act 114? What was the advisory committee's mandate from the enabling legislation?
2: We were to look at the contributions that fathers make to more positive outcomes for children in society, ways to support early connection of fathers to their children, beginning in gestational stage through school. We were to look at different support programs and ways that help men become more responsible and greater involved fathers, including things like workforce development and education, conflict resolution. So we were to look at the barriers that fathers face to greater involvement. Perhaps the most important thing was to look at the possibility of creating a permanent commission to deal with greater fatherhood involvement.
0: Thank you.
1: I feel like that's a good segue into the next question, which is about if the report contains any notable statistics on single-parent households. We we're wondering to get an idea of how big this issue is
2: in 2022, 30% of children did not live with two parents. So we're talking about a fairly significant amount of children. We looked at marriage and divorce rates, and although they've stabilized a tiny bit in the past couple of years, there has been a trend for the last 30, 40 years of fewer marriages, more divorces, couples who are just choosing not to marry, whether or not they choose to live together. So we're seeing a fairly significant number of people who are not creating intact families and seeing that impacting child development.
0: Yvonne, what does research tell us about the benefits of being raised by a father? Kids do better
2: overall. They have better academic success. They're more likely to have better career and educational development. It can reduce teen pregnancy rates. It can create a sense of security and stability that allows children to thrive when they have both parents providing role models and guidance and support through life.
0: Okay. So what I hear you saying is there's great value in it. Yes, absolutely. Fathers have value, should be appreciated
2: and supported and not shunted to the side. It is not a competition between mothers and fathers. It is the idea that children have two parents and both parents should be able to support and nurture that child into becoming the responsible citizen we all hope our children become. But it is important that they have that input from both parents, and it frequently doesn't happen with single fathers in particular.
1: Is there a primary reason that the advisory committee had for why fathers are not involved? Is it a matter of encouraging fathers to be involved, or are there systemic barriers?
2: It's really a combination. There are legal barriers, there are systemic barriers, there are cultural barriers. Part of it is how they were raised and how they view the role of a father in their children's lives. There are lots of legal barriers to not being married to the mother of your child, and that includes establishing paternity. If you're not married and you've never cohabited with the mother, it could impact on The custody factors that the court will look at in determining custody, not so much that they are favoring the mothers, but the child has spent more time and has developed more of a relationship with the mother. So it becomes harder for the father to overcome that barrier. Part of it is societal in in a divorce situation where we've seen in the past, when we've looked at this issue before, you have two people who create a child in a marriage they take on roles and there's kind of a division of duties and powers. And one may provide more nurturing and more on the spot care. The other may provide more financial support. And then when the marriage breaks down, if the father's the one who's been out being the breadwinner and mom has been a stay at home mom, the father doesn't have the same level of relationship with the child, as the mother does, because the child's going to be in two different households, both household has to take on some of those duties that were divvied up when they were married and living together. And and so to try to come in to that position and be able to play all the roles when the child is with you becomes an issue. There are a lot of problems people run into with fathers who were formerly incarcerated It's not an absolute legal barrier to have been in jail or prison and to be able to have a relationship with your child. But it's the secondary effects of that. It's harder to find housing. It's harder to find employment. And if you can't offer stable housing and stable financial support for a child, it's a lot harder to be involved. We see it with Military deployment as well, fathers who are deployed don't have the opportunities to spend one-on-one time with their children like they might do if they were all living in the same household. And so one of the most important things we thought a commission could do beyond the initial thought of a, a body to review programs and make grants is the idea of a body that would focus on getting information across to Pennsylvanians on the value fathers bring to their relationships with their children and to try to address some of the stigma and cultural prejudices that we see against young single fathers. You can do a media campaign. You can do advertising and PSAs that show dads with their children and really normalize the idea of fathers being involved in the lives of their children. Some of the other issues we looked at um, is, and, and they're not so much legal as situational if you're involved with the school or with children and youth, who can go to all the meetings, who can go to all the conferences, and who even gets notice if one parent has primary custody, how involved is the other parent in those kind of decision-making things that have long-term impact for the kids. So one of the important things we think needs to happen is to convey to people that fathers have just as vital a role to play as mothers in, in the development of their children.
0: Yvonne, can you tell us a little bit about some existing programs that support fatherhood?
2: The federal government, through the Administration for Children and Families, which is under Department of Health and Human Services, does a lot of grants to programs. They have basically three different funding streams where they do grants for responsible fatherhood program. Right now, I think there are four programs in Pennsylvania that get that federal grant money. There's also a National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse, which is a resource to find information. There are a number of programs that support fathers in the state. They are not always organized or in communication with each other. There are, in Pennsylvania, the Department of Human Services is really the state agency that would be involved. There is the Pennsylvania Family Centers where families can go and get education and training. And there's the uh, Promoting Responsible Fatherhood Initiative, which is in several locations in Pennsylvania. And also the Supreme Court has its Office of Children and Families, one of its goals is to support strong families and assist in permanency so that children aren't in foster care all the time. Temple University has the Fatherhood Research and Practice Network, and they have all kinds of information about a fatherhood programs that you can access. There are some non-governmental agencies like the National Fatherhood Initiative. Casey Family Programs does some work on fatherhood. And there's actually even, we did a little segment on sports figures and programs that they have come up with to encourage greater fatherhood involvement where famous Sports figures are promoting father involvement and father engagement and role modeling for other people. The Children's Aid Society in Clearfield County has a program that basically covers an eight county area and it supports both father involvement programs and relationship programming to promote strong families. And that's a lot of where the federal dollars are coming from. The the program is strong marriages and responsible fatherhood. So a lot of the focus is coming into building up those relationships and sustaining those relationships and trying to promote strong families for the benefit of everybody, but in particular, the kids there's a program called Dads in Philadelphia that provides a lot of support. They're kind of scattered around the, the state, so they're they're trying to get into different areas. Not every county has fatherhood programs, but there are a dozen or so that we were able to identify that we included in our report.
1: Vaughn, it- Is the family dynamic we discussed earlier part of the reason why there's a default custody arrangement? And can you tell us more about those?
2: When there is a custody dispute, Pennsylvania courts have 14 factors that they are to take into consideration in determining custody. While they are not intended to advantage one parent over the other. When a couple adheres to those stereotypic roles throughout their marriage, when it comes down to custody, then you can sometimes see the father falling short when the factors are weighed. One of the things some of our members have supported and and what we wrote about in the report is the idea of co-parenting and shared parenting, and that custody should start out at 50-50 and then adjust accordingly. I think there are people in Pennsylvania who would say we already do that, but perception plays a role in that as well. And if fathers are thinking they're being shortchanged then somehow you have to address that notion that they are. I would not say our courts specifically disadvantage them. I think the choices people make in their relationships and how they divide parental duties can sometimes come back to haunt them. People fall into patterns. And especially if you grew up that way, you're going to emulate the way you grew up. And sometimes that, that's not to your advantage.
1: Since we're on the topic of courts, can you discuss what a family access motion is? I saw it mentioned in the report.
2: Ah, yes, that is something we talked about a little bit. I think it's worth mentioning for the legislature and the courts to consider. And that is, what do you do when people violate Custody orders. What do you do when they consistently return the child late? What happens is you have um, custody situations where one parent, for whatever reasons, is violating or is perceived to be violating the custody order, and people are feeling shortchanged on time. And so the question is, what are the consequences of not obeying a custody order to the T? And what happens is there's not much. You can ultimately be found in contempt of court because your custody order is a court order, but that's not easy to have happen. And the idea of the petition is that the parent who feels they have been cheated of custody time can file a motion with the court for the court to issue in a corrective order, basically. And I think a lot of times what people are looking for when they do those kind of petitions is to get their time back if you know if the child wasn't returned at the end of the weekend and they and it's been a week they want their time back they want an adjustment on the other end that to make it make up for it so that's the idea of that process one of the things that one of the areas where custody also comes into play is eligibility for Federal and state aid for families. Because if you don't have primary custody, if the child is not living with you, a lot of those um, programs you don't qualify for, as a, they're, they're for the parent and child. And if you're not the primary parent, then you're not going to qualify for that kind of funding. I mean WIC, for example, women, infants, and children. Now there could be a father who has full custody of an infant child who needs formula and and all of those kind of things that you can get from WIC, and they would be able to apply for it. But that's a very rare case. And even the name of the program, Women, Infants and Children is off-putting to fathers who just assume it doesn't apply to them. But the other thing, even some of the the housing programs, the federal housing programs, a single father with a child who has the child living with them full-time has more options than a single father who would have a child coming overnight from time to time. So some of the some of the qualifications for some of the programs revolve around if you have a child living with you and if the child is with you 25% of the time then that's not going to count as living with you and you're not going to qualify for certain programs. So and I mean that 25% is just an example that I am creating out of thin air but the idea is if you don't have full or 51% of the time, it might bump you out of federal programs that could help you be able to have that child live with you more.
1: So, Yvonne, during the advisory committee meetings, what were the big repeating topics that that were at the top of people's minds that they kept coming back to? Well, I think custody was really
2: important. Employment opportunities, For disadvantaged fathers, the younger fathers, maybe the ones who didn't finish high school or have some kind of criminal history, their ability to find work was a big issue. The issue of um, incarceration in general, I think, was important because the ramifications are so great across so many areas for a young father.
1: So I'm, I'm guessing that the employment and incarceration order might be less of a problem for the mothers if they already have custody. So in other words, the father has to get past that hurdle to reach the level of custody.
2: Yeah, I think that's part of it. Again, part of it's availability. There have been some studies, and we talked about them a little bit in the report, on the advisability of children visiting incarcerated parents. And and it's a very touchy subject about when that would be appropriate and when it isn't appropriate. And then really, the bottom line was a call, you need to study it more. But it was a, a topic that came up. Another issue that we wrote more about was the youngest children and the babies. And there has been some research and some studies done on the advisability and any benefits or detriments to children for overnight visits when they're maybe an infant or a toddler, how there have been concerns. In some studies that talked about it interfering with the baby's ability to attach to the mother, there are other studies that have come back out and said, no, it's not an issue. I think the idea that fathers don't know how to take care of babies, that's an issue as well, which, you know, I could give you examples of both kinds. (laughs) <laughs> that i have personally known in my life there are some men who are great with infants and there are some men who quite honestly culturally have not had the exposure or the opportunity to spend a lot of time with infants and they don't know what to do with them but that's something you can learn and there are prenatal classes and there there are high school programs i honestly don't know if they do it anymore or not but when when my kids were in high school, um, some of the classes had like the fake baby that you had to take home for the weekend and take care of. There's stuff out there to teach young people how to be parents and how to care for an infant. But I think that is part of it is is a, a societal assumption that dads aren't that good with very little babies for what that's worth.
1: I think the very little babies
0: are easier to care for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't move on you. <laughs> what sort of coordination, of on is there between the different fatherhood groups? There's a statewide organization
2: that has the Symposium Organizing Council. And they were one of the groups that was instrumental in pushing for the original statute, and then this resolution. And they do an annual conference where they have the different father groups come in. And and they seem to be the body that does the most connecting of the different groups to each other. They started in Southeast Pennsylvania in the Philadelphia area, and they have been spreading out different parts of the state. And one of the reasons why they've advocated for a permanent commission, and why we have conducted this study, is that you need permanency, you need the authority that comes with being a government agency, and you need the ability to get funding and be able to give grants to these organizations above and beyond the grants that are coming out of the feds or out of the state. It's there are different models, there are a couple of different states that have done commissions. One of the ones that we looked at closely in the report is out of Ohio, and they used federal funding, TAMF dollars, temporary aid to needy families to establish and operate their commission.
1: So at the end of the report, what are the recommendations that they came up with? And uh, do you think there is enough momentum to establish the Permanent Fatherhood Institute in Pennsylvania? Establishing the commission
2: is, I think, from everybody's perspective, the foundational thing that has to be done before you can do anything else, because you need somebody to be organizing to be guiding, to be coordinating. And right now, there really isn't anybody doing that. Even just liaisoning between different agencies and different departments, it just isn't there. So to be able to get out a message of the importance of fatherhood And the value of some of these different ways you can assist fathers in being more involved with their children has to come from a central organization that's promoting it statewide. The rest of the recommendations can come into play, but if there's nobody out there advocating For those in a centralized way, they're not going to go that far. I think the momentum is out there. I think there's a lot of interest in promoting fatherhood. There have been a number of studies coming out of late talking about the value of families and the importance of strong families and in a an era where two parents in the same household while it's still the majority there are a lot that are not living like that you have to meet the needs where you find them so if you're going to promote strong families within marriages great but you also have to be able to look at these un married fathers and mothers, and be able to promote and encourage their developing familial relationships that are supportive of their children. If they're not together as a couple, if they're not living together, whatever, that you still need to provide that support to that Unit of a child and two parents to be able to ensure that the child has the best opportunity for development and the best chance at a successful life.
0: Thank you, Yvonne. It's time for us to wrap up our conversation for today. If you're listening and you would like more details about fatherhood, and the research and the conversations of the advisory committee, you can find a link to the report in the show notes. The music in our podcast is provided by Joseph McDade. Thanks for listening.